Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Good to be with you this morning. My name's Tim, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church. If this is your first time here, just sit back and relax. I hope you uh, are inspired and, and, and uh, enjoy the service and learn something today. We're in the middle of a series right now called um, It's a Wonderful Life. We're going to be looking at lessons uh, from an angel, AS2's, Angel Second Class. We're going to look at that this morning. So last week we, we, um, we looked at uh, George Bailey. Uh, after the services later that night, our group, our zone, got together and watched the movie, and it was funny. You know, we had the women, we, had, we, we were watching it in two different TVs. The women congregated upstairs uh, and watched in the living room, uh, while the men went down into the, the basement, the bigger TV, and, um, and uh, we watched it on high, high def, on Blu-ray, and we, we said, start the movie when you're ready, and we happened to have started the movie ten seconds apart, that's all. So... Uh, I don't know what it is with guys. You know, we're sitting there watching this movie. We're getting close to the end. And uh, men don't look at each other you know, when it's a tearjerker. Because there wasn't a dry, eye in a, a dry eye in the house. Everybody's kind of like, you don't dare look. Somebody might be looking at you. And I'm sitting over like this. <laughs> Don Yoder's sitting next to me going, <clears throat> you know, we're all just kind of trying to hold it together a little bit there. We go upstairs. And the women don't help. <laughs> and so we're all, we're crying for you. Yeah, we're sad, you know. But uh, it, was, it was a very, very encouraging film to watch together. I hadn't really seen It's Wonderful Life in a long time from start to finish. I've always seen it in bits and pieces. And so to sit down and watch it with my friends in view of what we had preached on that uh, earlier that Sunday, it was, oh, what a treat and such an enjoyment. I hope you get a chance to do that in your, in your groups, to sit back and, and look at this movie. It's a very interesting movie. And I know that Hollywood doesn't always get it right. You know, in fact, Hollywood is anti-spiritual when you stop and think about it. They've been that way for years. You know, and when Frank Capra, the man who directed this film, came back from World War II, he had spent the war putting together propaganda films, uh, American propaganda films. And so when he uh, comes back... He wants to put together something real positive. And so he attempts to do that with this movie. Uh, people have made fun of Frank Capra's films. They, they call it Capricorn and, you know, things of that nature. It's schmaltzy and, and uh, you know, all the good things. And this, you know, unreasonable. It's unreasonable to think like that. Uh, folksy, back home, you know, good, solid values. And... Um, this movie did not do well at the box office. Like I say, it lost a half a million dollars at the box office. But later it would become the number one holiday movie of all time. You know, when it was nominated for five Academy Awards, it lost all of them. It, 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 they were nominated, but they lost to a, a, a picture some of you may, have known, may know called The Best Years of Our Lives. That was an incredible World War II film of, of men and women coming home from the war. And uh, America didn't want to look at sappy stuff. They, they didn't want to see that. Frank Capra thought they would, but they, they weren't really into that. And, and so Hollywood, and, and, and the critics were awful to the film. Uh, too much spiritual you know, overtones, too much about God. People didn't want to hear that. And I, so I get it that a lot of times Hollywood isn't, isn't kind to Christmas movies. Um, but, you know, sometimes the movies get it right. Sometimes they do. This movie doesn't get everything right, but it does get a few things right. 
Um, and sometimes we can learn from art and entertainment. Um, the Apostle Paul, look here on the screen, look at this passage here. He, he quotes some poets of the day when he's talking about God in Athens. And he, says, he simply says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. And he uses, the, uses some relevant art and entertainment of that day to try to connect to his audience. So there's nothing really wrong with looking at a movie. Um, especially if it gets some things right. Last week we looked at George Bailey. And we looked at, looked at how this guy who had, um, had a horrible day, it happened to be on Christmas Eve. And I know sometimes Christmas isn't kind to you. It hasn't been kind to me either at times, all right? Well, it wasn't kind to George Bailey. You know, on Christmas Eve, he, he loses $8,000 and things go in the tank real quick to the point he's ready to jump off a bridge and end his life. But an angel by the name of Clarence Oddbody, AS2, Angel second class decides to jump in before he does, and so he saves Clarence's life. At least he thinks he does. When actually Clarence saves George's, and so uh, in this, so we see that's basically the premise of of what's going on here. And, and so George learns and discovers that he has a wonderful life. He doesn't know it. He's so hard headed and blind. He doesn't see his blessings. He sees himself as somebody who's been left at Bedford Falls, stuck in Bedford Falls, never to be what he always wanted to be, never to achieve his dreams. But he finds out that he does have a wonderful life. Last week we learned that, to, to, that you can have a wonderful life if you put others first. When you do that, that's a wonderful life to, let, to have. It's like Jesus. That's how Jesus was. He put others first. Life is wonders, wonderful when you resist temptation. There's lots of temptations in life that make us want to think of ourselves and cave in and say, you know what, it's my turn. I'm going to quit. I'm going to back off. And George had, had a great temptation as well from Mr. Potter, only to say no to it. And because of that, he discovered he had a wonderful life. We learned last week that our lives are wonderful because they matter. That you do, each of you leave a big hole wherever, wherever you're not. I'm amazed how quickly we forget this lesson. I was reminded last week, talking to people, who didn't realize they're leaving a hole when they're not at something. They still didn't get it. And, you know, guys, that's why last week when I talked to any of you, I called you George. Did you notice that? I didn't call you by your real name, but I called you George. Because I want to encourage you to be like George Bailey. Put others first. Resist temptation. And fill in the holes, the places that God has put you at work, at school. Because your life is not meaningless. The fourth thing we learned last week was, it's a wonderful life when we make a commitment to God. If you don't make a commitment to God, and you live this life and never make a commitment to God, that's the greatest mistake you could ever make. Because that's what truly makes life wonderful, is a commitment to God. Now today what I want to do is talk with you about what we can learn from an angel. Now before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about angels. There's a lot of confusion about angels, and I'm personally confused about angels as well. I mean, they still here? They still work? I mean, have you ever seen one? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know, Tim? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Whether I've seen one or not, I'm not sure. So you believe they're around. Well, I have no reason not to believe that they work today. What do you mean, Tim? Well, let me explain. Now, let me give you five bullet points here about angels I noticed, okay? First, angels are spiritual servants created by God. 
I think what the King James would say is ministering spirits is the way the book of Hebrews talks about it. Here in Nehemiah 9.6, Nehemiah is praying and he says, You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their angels. So he made the angels. He created angels. Now we're not to worship angels. Colossians 2.18, just write that down somewhere and look at it later. We're not to worship angels. Okay? But it doesn't mean that we, don't, we should not accept their help in our life. But they are created by God. Number two, angels are not depart, the departed trying to earn their wings. Angels are not people that used to live on earth and died, and now they're trying to earn their wings. This is where the movie gets it wrong. This is where we get you know, uh, TV shows like Highway to Heaven and Touched by an Angel or The Bishop's Wife or The Preacher's Wife or whatever movie that's got angels in. And a lot of times they portray these angels as people that used to live on earth and they've died and now they're coming back. They're coming back to help people. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. In fact, in Matthew 22... Jesus said this, At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like, doesn't say there will be angels, they'll be like the angels in heaven. We have, you know, a child dies, oh, they turn into a little angel. That's not true. They're like the angels. They're like the angels. Write this passage down and look at it later. Hebrews 12, 22 through 23. And what you're going to notice in that passage is the Bible puts people in different categories, I guess, sort of speak, in heaven. The angels are in one category. The church of the firstborn or the firstborn first fruits are in another category. And those that believe, those that have died and those that are still living, are all in different categories, so to speak. Angels are in a totally different category than those like you and I, human beings. Another thing we notice about angels is they're guardians. They're guardians. What do you mean by guardians, Tim? They're caretakers. They're here to help me. They're here to help you. Sometimes they'll guard. They'll protect us. In Psalms 91, verse 11, the Bible says, For he orders his angels to protect you wherever you go. Well, kind of like a guardian angel. That may be where we get the idea of a guardian angel. You know, there's lots of examples in the Bible that teach this idea of angels helping people. You've got Moses, for example. When you read about Moses, an angel, God says, I'm sending an angel to you to lead you out of Egypt and to where I want you to be, to the promised land. In fact, when you read the account of Moses, when he sees a burning bush, it's an angel that's burning in the bush with a message. Uh, when uh, they're going to the Red Sea. And um, I want to say Yul Brenner, well, the Pharaoh, and, and, and the Egyptians are catching up with Moses. Uh, the Bible says the angel that was leading the way, the pillar of fire, then moved to the back and was between Pharaoh and his army and the children of Israel, protecting the children of Israel. That's what angels do. They protect. You have an angel that appears to Abraham and tells him, by this time next year, your wife will have a son. You have Lot, who an angel comes to him and, and uh, where he lives in Solomon Gomorrah and says, come on, you've got to get out of this town because God's going to destroy it. And literally, the angel grabs Lot and says, come on, we've got to go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know them. They're the guys that's in the fiery furnace. 
someone says, there's somebody in the fiery furnace. It looks like the Son of God. And people have said, that's Jesus. No one's really sure who it is. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, it's an angel that was in the fiery furnace with us. Daniel in the lion's den. He says, an angel shut the mouths of the lions. Now, when they threw the other fellows in, the angel did not help. You've got a guy in in our Christmas story, in the Christmas story in the Bible. You've got Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he is told by an angel, you're going to have a son, naming John. Well, how do I know what you're telling me is true? You're not going to be able to talk until he's born. Now, some people have tried to put that on me. And that's not worked yet. So, but the, but to think of that, you know, an angel's the one that tells him. An angel tells him you're going to have a son, and an angel, by the way, meets him, appears to him while he's in the temple in the holy of holies. An angel appears to him. You have um, Mary. An angel appears to her. You're going to have a son, Joseph. It's okay to marry to marry her. God made her pregnant. It's all right, Joseph. Call him Jesus. Okay. In fact, you read some more and you find out that it's an angel that tells Mary and Joseph, you've got to get out of here and go to Egypt. Why? Because Herod's going to kill your son. So out of protection, out of being a guardian, an angel makes sure that Jesus is nowhere for Herod to find. You know, it, it, you see Old Testament examples. You see examples during the time of Christ. And then after, after Jesus dies, resurrects, ascends into heaven, after the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, you keep reading, and angels have not stopped working. I had this assumption angels stopped working after a, a certain time. I have no proof they've stopped. They're still working. I think that's safe to say. And, and what we find, we find where Peter is in jail, and remember an angel comes and loosens his, loosens his handcuffs, so to speak, his chains, and leads him out. Now Peter thinks he's having a vision, he's having a dream, but he's not having a dream. It's an angel that does that. And when the church is praying for Peter to get out of, out of jail, Peter gets to the door, knocks on the door, and the little girl opens it, goes and tells everybody praying, Hey, Peter's here. No, it can't be Peter, it must be an angel. I think that would be spectacular too if you stop and think about it. You know, we're praying, an angel shows up, cool. And if that's not enough, you've got the Apostle Paul, who is uh, over and over again, angels appear to the Apostle Paul. And one particular time, he's in a ship that's about to, about to go through a tremendous storm. People are getting ready to, to bail, get ready to jump to save their lives. And an angel, Paul says, comes and stands beside me and tells me, Everything's going to be okay, guys, so nobody leave. If somebody does, we're all going to die. So stay right here with us, stay together. And everything will work out just like the angel told me. Another thing about angels, besides being guardians, they can appear in human form. Are you kidding me, Tim? This is what the Bible says. Now, I'd like for some of you to... Just to I know we're trying to logically understand this. But some things just don't make sense. We're kind of like that guy in that uh, bridge guard shack. We fall off the chair when we hear about angels. Oh, what? And we want to get out of there and look through the window and go, I think I've heard it done. But sometimes angels appear in human form. 
Obviously, Abraham had two gentlemen, two guys appear. He didn't know they were angels. Hebrews. This is after Jesus has gone. The church is in full swing. It says, don't forget to be kind to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. You ever been rude to a stranger? I had a salesman come in yesterday. I'm sorry, Friday. Came in, wanted to talk to me. And I go, man, guys, you got to make appointments. I don't have time to talk to you. I'm too busy working on a sermon about angels. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. He leaves. I'll come back. Okay, we'll make an appointment. Okay. Denise goes, you were rude to him. And I'm reading this. Oops. I wonder if he was an angel. Selling auto glass? Nah. You don't know. It says here, you could be entertaining us angel without realizing it. And I've had people talk to me. That's why I say I'm not sure if I've seen an angel or not, because I've had people tell me stories that I've had similar ones as well, where I've been helped by somebody, and then I go to thank them and I can't find them. Why were they here at that moment? I can't explain it. I fell off my chair and I'm sneaking out. I don't know what to do with this. But I do know this. When you read your scriptures, you find out that an angel is a messenger. That's what they are. They're messengers. That's over and over again. In fact, the word literally means messenger. And you find that true over and over and over again. Look at the Bible says in Hebrews 7. God speaks to his angels as messengers, swift as the wind, and as servants made of flaming fire. So these guys are they're unique. They're created by God. They're there to worship God and to do his bidding and to do his will. But one of the, I, think, I think the primary purpose of an angel is to bring a message. Behold, you know, do not fear, for unto you a child has been born, Christ the Lord. Paul, don't be afraid. You're going to preach in Rome. Peter, keep talking. Keep preaching. Jesus, don't quit. Keep going. After he prays at Gethsemane, the Bible says angels came and strengthened him. Why? Because he's about to go to the cross. So we have these examples. You're going to have a child. You're going to, this is what's going to happen. You're going, you're going to destroy the enemy. You're going to have victory. With only 300 men, that's right, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. Angels, they bring messages. That's their primary role. And that's what we see in this movie, in It's Wonderful Life. We see Clarence bringing a message to a guy named George Bailey. And I think some of the things that George learned, we need to learn. That Clarence, this AS2, Angel Second Class, can teach us some things this morning. That's what I'm hoping. And there's so many things in this movie. You've got to listen close. It's almost like they, every line they've meticulously put in place for a reason. Almost as if maybe God was making sure, because this would be a popular movie, that we would learn some things. And I, I watched some things last week. I've watched this movie, like I say, many times, but I've forgotten some things, and I learned some new things. And today I, was, I want to share with you, if Clarence could talk to us, what would his message be? What's the message that Clarence wants to bring to me this morning? Let me give you four during Christmas here you need to know. Number one, God hears me when I pray. Amen. Praise God. 
God hears you when you pray. You get God's attention when you talk to Him. Oh no, my prayers are empty. That is not true. I'll say this. If you're serious about your prayer life and you're serious about your prayers, God will take them just as seriously. There's lots of prayers in this movie. I, didn't, I couldn't believe how much prayers. There's prayers at the beginning, prayers in the middle, and even the, as the movie draws to an end, you have George Bailey praying from a bridge. There is prayer in this, and everybody's praying. And there's a good reason, because George Bailey, not only has he misplaced $8,000, he's asked Mr. Potter for some help, and Mr. Potter refuses to give him any help. He finds out there's going to be a warrant out for his arrest. The press is going to be there. The bank examiner is going to be there. His youngest daughter, Zuzu, is sick and in bed. And if that's not enough, he runs through the house. And as he's going up the steps, he grabs the knob of that staircase post and it comes off. You ever had one of those days where just everything's just going wrong? Even simple stuff? He loses his temper. I never saw this. I, 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 I have watched this movie. I thought I knew this movie. Some of you said, Tim, it's like you, you're in the movie. I thought I was in the movie. I, I mean, I really thought I knew this movie. I never saw this before until I watched it with my friends last week. When George throws his fit, he kicks down that model of the Golden... It's like the Golden Gate Bridge. Is that what it looks like to you? He's kicking that down... And, and the skyscrapers, and I'm thinking, you mean he's still toying with the idea of building things? That's what, I couldn't believe it. I thought he'd given up. He is stubborn. He refuses to give up on his dream. He refuses to define his life any other way than through building things and accomplishing things on his own. And it's just all blown to pieces. And it's Christmas Eve of all times. I've had, I've had Christmas Eves in my home, not in the home that Denise and I have, but the home I grew up in, that were stupid. Families get into fights, throwing stuff, throwing fits. So I know I can identify with a bad Christmas Eve. And sure enough, he's having, he's having a whole lot worse. He storms out the house. Everybody starts praying. His mom's praying. His wife's praying. Even Zuzu is praying. His friends are praying. But do you know George is praying too? George Bailey is praying too. He sits there at the bar. And he's, he's, he's a little tipsy. He's had a little bit too much to drink, but he's still got enough coherence to know, maybe I can talk to God. And Will God listen to me when I'm drunk? Apparently. Apparently, and he calls out to God. He goes, look, God, if you're there, if you can hear me, you've got to help me. Show me the way. And he says, I'm at the end of my rope. Show me the way. And you know what happens next? He gets punched in the mouth. He gets punched in the mouth by Mr. Welk, who happens to be the husband of the teacher that he chewed out on the phone. And you, I don't know if you've you got to listen close. While he's on the ground, on the floor, at Martini's, he mutters to himself, that's what I get for praying. And in the guard shack, prayer's brought up again. 
This time Clarence says, hey, George, your lip is bleeding. He goes, yeah, <laughs> I got a bust in the jaw and an answer to a prayer a little bit ago. And Clarence says, oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. A lot of times we think God's answer to prayer one way when he's really going to answer it another. God hears you when you pray. I want to ask you this morning, what kind of trouble are you in this morning? I didn't say if you're in trouble, because we are all got a little trouble going on, am I right? With your family? What family in this room doesn't have any trouble going on? Please, liar. I'll say it before you slip your hand up. What family doesn't have some drama going on? And if it isn't, if it isn't trouble there, how about your friends? How about in your friendships? George has got it going on with his family. He's got it going on in his friendships. Hollywood got it right. That's where a lot of, a lot of trouble comes, huh? Financial. Do you have financial trouble going on? George lost $8,000. You lose twenty, and you're in trouble. What am I going to do? He can't make ends meet. You find yourself, I don't know if I can make ends meet. Financial trouble. Maybe, maybe it's work, trouble at work. George has trouble at work. He's about to lose his business. You got trouble at work? Not getting along with the boss? Not getting along with a coworker? Thinking about quitting? Troubles everywhere. Or maybe you've got something going on that George Bailey doesn't even realize, and that's trouble inside. Spiritual trouble. Your relationship with God isn't quite where it needs to be. Oh, it can always be better. No, I'm not talking about that. Of course it can always be better. I'm talking about... No, Tim, I know what you mean. It's not. I'm not in sync with God right now. I've not been at his feet I've not been in my Bible I've not been really talking I'm not including him in very much in what I'm doing it's a little distant right now I want you to know if you're in trouble whatever trouble you're facing this morning you know what Clarence wants you to know you know what heaven wants you to know God will hear you if you pray God will hear you if you ask for help Psalms 18 David is saying this while he's pretending to be insane. This is when he's running away from Saul and he's pretending to be insane. I believe that's right. And look what he says. In my distress, I screamed to the Lord for his help and he heard me from heaven. My cry reached his ears. Now David's having a, his, he's having a bad time right now, a bad moment in his life. His enemies are trying to kill him. Saul is trying to kill him. God's anointed is trying to kill him. And here he is, running, running away from it all. And he says, I screamed, I cried out to God, help me. And you know what? God heard it. He heard it. Whether he deserves it or not, God heard him. Praise God. And then he goes on to describe in the verses in between, verse 6 and 10, he says, and then... There was an earthquake. The earth shook. Wait a minute. God, I didn't ask you to shake up the world. I didn't ask you to shake up my world. Earthquake? Yeah, and then fire. Fire is coming out the mouth of God. Fire? You're turning up the heat? 
Yes, I am. I'm asking for help here, and you're shaking everything around me, and you're turning up the heat. Is that what's happened to George Bailey? Doesn't he find out he's never been born? Is that not shake your world? Would that not shake you and put the pressure on you? And then storm clouds are coming. Wonder what's that all about? There's more stuff going to happen. And it's going to be pleasant. But he says in verse 10, Mounted on a mighty angel, he sped swiftly to my aid. I love that. All this stuff's happening. I'm calling out to God, and, and, and it's earthquakes and fire and storms are happening around me. But you know what I can count on? This is going to help me. Because on a mighty angel, my Lord comes swiftly to my aid. You don't think God hears you? You may not like the answer you get sometimes from God. I know I don't. Give me patience, Lord. Oh, don't pray that. Are you crazy? He's going to throw everything he can at you then. He'll get all these people are driving you nuts. All these situations that make you just want to quit. But that's how you develop patience. Help me be more loving, Lord. Oh, no, don't pray that. Here comes that crazy aunt or uncle to Christmas. Here we go again. And I'm to love them. If you can learn to love them, you can learn to love anybody then, see? See how it works? God hears you when you pray. David says these words. He says these words as he's delivered from he's delivered from Saul and his enemies. That's the one here. This is in Psalms 34. He says these words, I praise him from what for what he has done. May all who are oppressed listen and be glad. He says anybody that's oppressed, anybody that's pushed down, anybody that's weighed down, anybody that's that feels like, you know, your circumstances are controlling you. You're, you're, you're imprisoned by what's going on around you. He says, listen to this, he says, and be glad. Proclaim with me the Lord's greatness. Let us praise his name together. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. That may be the best part of the Bible right there. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. The oppressed look to him and are glad. They're never disappointed. The helpless call to him and he answers. He saves them from all their troubles. His angel guards those who honor the Lord and rescues them from danger. I want you to know this morning, when heaven wants you to understand this, angels want you to understand this, they're here to help you. And when you pray, God will hear you. God will hear when you call out to Him. There's something else that we need to see. And I think it's important for us to know. George needed to know this, and you and I need to know this, that I am never alone. You are never alone. A lot of times we think, oh, nobody understands. Nobody understands what I'm going through. I'm the only person in the world that's got this problem. Everybody else has got it made, and I don't. Really? Really? Come on. George thinks he's facing his problem all alone, but he's not. You know how I know that? Because an angel is there. You have God's attention. You know God cares about what happens to you? Especially if you're a believer. 
He, once you're saved, he doesn't go, okay, you're saved, I don't have to worry about you anymore. Oh, he cares deeply. He cares deeply about what happens to you. And he wants you to know, there's discussions in heaven over you. When you pray, when you bring God into your life, there's discussions in heaven on how can we help. How can we help Tim? Because he needs some help. How do we help this believer? Look what it says in Psalms 145. The Lord is close. What a wonderful promise. The Lord is close to everyone who prays to Him. To all who truly pray to Him. You have God's attention when you call out to Him. And He cares so much about what happens to you. And He wants you to know you do not have to face anything alone. See, George is one prideful, stubborn, independent guy. That's what we learn about him. And we we see our own pride and stubbornness and independence in this character. We want to take care of it all by ourselves. We don't want anyone's help. We think we're alone. And God said, man, I'm right here waiting to help you. You're never alone. When, when Israel was at one of its lowest points in history during, during captivity, look what Isaiah records here. God says these words, Do not be afraid. I am with you. I am your God. Let nothing terrify you. I will make you strong. I'll protect you and save you. Again, when David was pretending to be insane, he says these words, The angel of the Lord stays close around those who fear him. He takes them out of trouble. What keeps him sane? What gives him sanity? Knowing the Lord is close. I'll go crazy if I try to... You guys, you isolate somebody by themselves long enough, they'll go crazy, won't they? God knows that. He doesn't want you to be alone. He never made you to be alone. He never made you to be off by yourself all the time. Oh, I've got to go find myself. You, you know what you're going to find? If you want to go find yourself, you will find yourself when you pursue God, not by yourself. I have found and discovered more things about me and found myself more by being with you than I have anywhere else. God did not make you and I to be alone. There are no lone rangers. Even lone ranger had a tonto. Look at this passage here in Acts 27. The Apostle Paul, he's, he's trying to encourage the shipmates on the, on the ship. I referred to this earlier in the lesson. And look what he says as they're about to go through a tremendous storm. He says, last, they're in a storm, in fact. Last night, an angel of the, of, of, of the God of, to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me. He's saying, an angel was with me. God's angel said, Paul, don't be, do not be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. And God has given you this promise. He will save the lives of all those men sailing with you. So men, be cheerful. I trust in God. Everything will happen as the angel told me. And so, and did, they, did, they, did the ship wreck? Yes. Did they all survive? Yes, they did. Just like the angel said. You're never alone. If you think you're alone right now, you're not. Call out to God and watch Him bring not only His angels but people to help you.
Number three, God wants me to trust Him. If there's a message here that Clarence is trying to get across to George, it's that, George, you need to trust God. You don't trust anybody. You appear to, but not completely. You're guarded. Listen to me. Listen to this. Just listen to this if you get anything else out of this point. I believe this is true. My life comes together when I'm broken. Let me say it again. My life comes together when I'm broken to pieces. When, when my heart is broken, I'm not talking about being sad. I'm talking about when I'm humble. When my pride is broken. My stubbornness is broken. My independent spirit is broken. It's almost like I've got to deal with my Americanness. When it's broken, that's when life really changes for me. And for you here. God wants me to trust Him. It says in Hebrews 1, All the angels are spirits who serve God and are sent to help those who will receive salvation. Now, who receives salvation? Aren't they those that humble themselves and submit to God? He says angels can help them then. See, George has got a... He's pretty stubborn. He's a pretty stubborn guy. When, when Clarence first introduces himself to George, what's George do? He goes, you're not an angel. What kind of angel are you? Where's your wings? And remember, he says, well, I don't have my wings yet. I haven't earned them. Oh, I, that's, that figures. I've got a fallen angel. And, and, when he, and when Clarence is trying to convince him and show him about how his life... Without his life, all these people... In fact, he, George interrupts him, I believe, in that guardhouse. He goes, George, you don't realize all the people you've touched. Nah, yeah. He interrupts because, yeah, yeah, all the people I've touched. You know, my wife and my kids would be better off without me. That's what he believes. He's arguing with an angel. He's arguing with a servant of God. You never win when you argue with God's servants. You know that, right? He says, I must be having a dream. That's how he justifies it. It's almost like his Church of Christiness. And those of you who are Church of Christy know what I'm talking about. We try to use our logic on everything. Well, there's a logical explanation for that. Sometimes there's no logical explanation. It takes faith. I must be having a dream. It must be something. Martini must have put something in his drinks. That must be what the problem is. And he starts getting angry with, with Clarence. He starts arguing with Clarence. You know, you, you, you watch this relationship through the film. He calls Clarence things like a mind reader. He calls him a fallen angel. He calls him a liar. That's a lie. My brother saved all those guys on that transport. He's lying. He's got to be lying. He doesn't trust Clarence at all. He calls, he says, this, you're crazy. You're screwy, is what he says to Clarence. You've got me in some kind of spell. That's what you're doing. And then he says this. I'll get out of this on my own. You know, I, I like George. You remember when Clarence says, I like George Bailey. And you learn about him in the, the beginning of that movie. He saves his brother. He's there when his father dies. And you know all this stuff that happens. You think, I like him. But you know what? The undertow, all that, all that good stuff that's going on, he's a stubborn man. He is stubborn. There's really very little difference between him and Mr. Potter. They both are ambitious and driven, and they will not quit. 
And they won't let anybody help them. But then, if you remember, this, the scene that gets me is when George goes to his mother's house. Mother, he goes, who are you? Beulah Blondie, I love that character, that, that actor, actress. Who are you? I'm George, I'm your son George. I don't know a son named George. You, you, I don't know you. Yeah, 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 you know me. Why, why uh, yeah, yeah, Uncle Billy. You know Uncle Billy? Yeah, where is he? Well, he's, I just saw him at the building. Oh, no, he's in an insane asylum. He got, went crazy when the building alone went under. And remember, he runs. She shuts the door. He runs and stops. And there's that. And you're like, oh my gosh. And he's starting to put it together. His, his pride, all of a sudden, there's a, a crack in it. Something's going on. He's realizing, wait a minute. Clarence, where's Mary? You're not going to like it. Where, I'm not supposed to tell. Where's Mary? She's an old maid. And this, she's closing up the library. And he runs and he finds Mary. And she's, you know, he's, Mary, Mary, Mary. And she's like, oh, oh, you know, she's like, what is this? You know, this man chasing me. Runs into this crowd of people. That's Mary. She's my wife. And she goes, oh, and she faints. And then if you listen close, and I bet you most of you don't hear it. If you listen close off camera, you hear somebody go, somebody get a straight jacket. And then, here comes Bert. Here comes the police. And he's, and he's breaking through the crowd. And here comes Bert up. And he hits him, knocks Bert down. And my brother and I were noticing this. Bert just picks up the gun and starts firing. Man, you don't do that. You're supposed to wait till everybody's out of the way. And boom, 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 boom. And people are diving, cars get out of the way, and the V in Pottersville all of a sudden goes out. He misses George and hits the V in Pottersville. Bert's a lousy shot. Tim, what's the point of that? That's, that's what it is. I mean, I don't have no spiritual point there. It just, isn't that something? And George is working his way back to the bridge and he's going, Clarence, Clarence, you gotta help me. Clarence, you gotta help me. And he says, I don't care what happens to me. The pride's cracking some more. Just get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence. Help me, Clarence. And then he says, Help me, God. Broken. Finally. He finally submits and surrenders to the one who sent the angel. And isn't that what it's about? And because he does that, because he does that, he begins to change. Now, I've read this passage in Proverbs hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. But I've never saw it like this trust in the Lord with all your heart what? trust in the Lord Tim with all your heart and lean not on your understanding what's he saying here? is it possible Solomon is saying there can't be any room there can't be anything any room in your heart or anything else in your heart but trust you can't have any pride in there Tim it's all your heart 
You can't lean on your own understanding and be your own man, be your own thing. Some of you young fellows, I've got to be my own man. Be God's man. What about pleasing God? What about pleasing God? Don't worry about somebody else pleasing God. You better think about what you're doing to please God. And he's, he's, he says, lean not on your own understanding. What he said, give up. Give up your own understanding here. Don't be so full of yourself and think of yourself. You can't have selfishness. You can't have pride. You can't have arrogance. You can't be independent and stubborn. Tim, you've got to get all that out. Well, how much? 90% of my heart, I trust you. That's a good statement, isn't it? I can say that. I can say that and not lie. What about 100%? A hundred? Nobody's perfect. I, oh, you know what, Tim? You got me there. I didn't think about that. I probably would have changed some of your heart. Man, you were smart there. No, God already knows that we're not perfect. He says, but you can give me all your heart and still be not perfect. Will you give me all of it? In all your ways. Well, 90% of those ways. Submit to Him. 90%. That's pretty good. Tim, I want all of it. There can't be room for your own plan, your own way. You're selfish. You can't be do that. You can't do that. It's got to be all or nothing. Why? Because when, when you give it all, Tim, your path all of a sudden gets straight. Someone once said the shortest, point between, or shortest line between two points is a straight line. And we argue with that. Some smart guy said that, right? Is it true? From where I am and where I need to get, it's shorter when I submit and surrender. If I just trust. And that's what George's problem is. He's having this struggle with trusting. But finally when he's broken, he's calling out to Clarence. He's calling out to God and saying, help me. And look how quickly things change for George. It's no longer this crooked path he's on. It's a straight shot to change. David said it this way, The sacrifice that God wants is a humble spirit. God who will not turn away someone who comes with a humble heart and is willing to obey. He won't turn that away. And George is broken. Now this fourth point, I believe is a message God's trying to say to me. And I thought you ought to hear it too, okay? Maybe somebody else needs to hear this one. And that is, my attitude shapes my life. If there's a message that I believe we need at Greater Alton, I need it. And I think many of us here, if not all of us here, need to hear this, that my attitude shapes my life. In other words, I can choose a better attitude. And I need to choose a better one. I think that's a message from heaven. God wants to change our perspective more than He wants to change our circumstances. Are you following me now? At the beginning of the day, George is upbeat. I mean, who wouldn't be? Here's your younger brother. You know, you got a newspaper headline, Harry Bailey, war hero coming home. The article says he's got the Medal of Honor. He finds out that his mom has had lunch with the president's wife. I mean, he's on top of the world. I mean, even that grumpy bank examiner, when he's sitting there and he's wanting to talk to George, it doesn't phase him a bit. He is on cloud nine. But then Uncle Billy goes, George, George, Georgie, come here. And he finds out they got problems. 
within seconds, his life has took a drastic nosedive. He realizes they could lose the building alone. This could be the, the death blow of the place. Jobs will be lost. People won't be we helped anymore. Uh, it'll, it'll mean, it'll mean uh, his, his reputation will be dis- destroyed. Remember what he does? He grabs Billy. Uncle Billy says, Don't you know what this means? It means bankruptcy and scandal and prison. Well, one of us is going to prison and it's going to be me. And bam, he's out. It's, here comes Bert. <laughs> He's a bad shot, don't worry. Okay, anyway. (laughs) I mean, this guy, he's had this chance to... I mean, he's really worked hard to to stay afloat emotionally, and he's done pretty good. I mean, okay, I wanted wanted to go see the world, but, you know, okay, my dad died. I understand, I'll stay here. And and he's being a good guy, being a good sport about it. You know, I get married, and it happens to be the the bank's crash. Okay, well, we'll work it out. I lose my honeymoon. All right, you know, all right. I I don't want to get married, but I guess I will. Okay, I mean, he just keeps, all these things are happening to him. And then this happens, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's just had it up to here. You say, but Tim, you've got to admit, circumstances have changed for George. Of course. Sure, they sure have. And circumstances change for you and I all the time. I've been alive now 58 years, and you know, I've finally begun to learn good things and bad things happen sometimes at the same time. They're happening all the time. In fact, when something good happens, I go like this. Where's it coming from? I have a good sermon. Oh, 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 praise God, it's a good sermon. Oh, I just love me. Thank you, God. You're wonderful. Great ideas. And then the phone call. I'm going to tell you what I think your sermon Oh, well, you know, we, we, we put in a lot of windshields this week. Yeah. Oh, phone call. Guess what? What? Scratched a car. It cost $2,000 to fix. Anything else you want to say? Yeah. Just get ahead and bam, something happens. Just get my head, bam, something else happens. That's what life is, isn't it? That's life, guys. And George is like sick of it. He's sick of life. Yes, his circumstances have changed. But there's something worse that's happened. His perspective has changed. His attitude has changed. And this attitude is distorting everything he sees now. He comes home. You can, Mary can tell. What's wrong with you? Know, he sits down, plops down, and little Janie is putting the tinsel on his head, and he just tears and just worry, and he doesn't know what to do. He's been searching for this money all day, and he can't find it. What are we going to do? And finally his wife's looking at him and do 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 Wait, stop stop playing that song. Oh daddy. Why do we live in this drafty old barn? That's what he says. This was their dream home. Why why do we live in this drafty old barn? Why do we have to have all these kids? Anybody else thought that before?
Tommy says, hey, Daddy, the Browns got a new car. You want to see it? Why would I want to see that? What's wrong with our car? Nothing, Dad. Zuzu's sick. Zuzu's sick. Why is he sick? Runs up the steps, picks up that... I like Chevy Chase. Stairway's fixed. <laughs> he comes down and he's, Mary's like, What's wrong, George? He goes, What's wrong? Everything is wrong. And then he kicks stuff, throws fit, and storms out. Has your attitude skewed? Your view of your life? How often does that happen? Let me be honest with you. It happens to me every day. Every day. I am such a pansy. Such a wuss when it comes to stuff like this, guys. Something happens, and I'm like, Nobody has to say what's wrong. They can tell, oh, everything's wrong. And maybe they can tell with you too, huh? We have those days. We have those weeks. We have those years. And God, listen to this. This is God shows George. He gives him perspective by taking everything away. The good and the bad. Is that, what it, is that what it's going to take with you and me? That God has to take away stuff for us to finally get it? Is Jesus right when he says, if you want to save your life, you must lose your life? Is that what it, it takes? Apparently. I'm amazed at how many people say to me, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon. And forget what, don't even apply it the next 24 hours. How many of you thought, boy, leaving a hole, leaving a big hole, and then there's a chance for you to fill it in and you didn't fill it in? Didn't even see it. Does God have to take it all away for, to wake you up? I don't want him to take it all away from me to wake me up. I, I want that attitude. I want that good attitude now. You see, when George finally gets it, finally sees what's going on, and he returns to the bridge, he begs God, please, God, help me. I want to live. I want to live. And what starts happening? It starts to snow. What does that mean? He's back. Have his circumstances changed? Still got $8,000 missing. He still can't hear out of his left ear. Zuzu is still sick. He, 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 the car is still wrecked. That little knob on the post still comes off. His circumstances haven't changed. What has changed? 
his perspective. And it's priceless. It's priceless. The police car drives up. He's on the bridge. The police car drives up. I remember as a kid when I first saw this, I thought, Bert's going to shoot him now because he's closer. And he's going, he's just going to boom, 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 boom. Ah, so I try running now, George. That's what I thought was going to happen. And he goes, George, George. He goes, now get away from me, Bert. I'll, I'll hit you again. And he goes, George, George, oh, why are you yelling? Hey, your lip is bleeding. Remember, I got this for an answer prayer. He goes, what? My lip, my lip is bleeding. Bert, my lip is bleeding. What's wrong with you, George? New perspective. New perspective. And he yells, he yells, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, George. And then he starts running back to Bedford Falls. He comes, he comes to his car that's crunched into that tree. And he goes, bang, bang, kisses the car. It's totaled. <laughs> he keeps going. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, George. Merry Christmas, Bijou. Merry Christmas, you old Bailey building and loan. And then he runs up to bang, 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 bang. Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter, his nemesis. He has a totally different perspective of him now. And he goes, Merry Christmas to you too, George. They're waiting for you at home. <laughs> Here he comes in the house. What's Mary, Mary? She's not there. Daddy, Daddy, the kids. He runs up the post, grabs that thing. What's he see? He gives it a kiss and puts it back. <laughs> runs up. Kids. Oh, Zuzu, my little ginger snap. He goes, I'm feeling better, Daddy. And little Janie says, not a smidgen of temperature. Oh, not a smidgen of temperature. Hallelujah. And then Mary bursts in. Oh, George. Oh, George. Mary. And there's that hug, that iconic hug that's on the cover. And he, George, a miracle has happened. People from, here's Uncle Billy, the guy he was going to kill just moments earlier. George, you're not going to believe it. Mary, Mary got everybody, and they went around scouring, and they got everybody's coming in, George. And here come all the people. Even Violet says, I've decided to stay. What better life could there be than in Bedford Falls? And here comes Bert. You know, and he's got his brother. And he goes, give me something here. Let's have a toast to George, the richest man in town. Sheriff tears up the warrant. The money gets counted. What a wonderful ending to a movie. You know, that wasn't the original ending. The original ending was supposed to be Mr. Potter's outside the door. And he opens up his coat and has an envelope of money. And he's thinking about knocking. But at the last moment says no. No. I like this ending. I like this ending. But let me tell you something, church. This is not a nice ending to a movie. He still has $8,000 missing. His, his lip is still bleeding. He still can't hear. But he's got something that will change his life forever. It's a new perspective. And this isn't just a happy ending to a movie, church. This is an example of the rewards of a new perspective. A new attitude. 
See, self-pity will screw it up and skew it up and just mess it all up with how you see life. You feel sorry for yourself, and guess what? You're not going to have a wonderful life. You choose. I choose the attitude. I love this psalm in the message. Sunrise breaks, sunrise breaks through the darkness for good people. Let me ask you a question. Do good people have darkness in their life? Will the righteous experience darkness in their life? Though the sorrows may last for the night. Yeah! I'm trading my son. What? Don't you ever want to do that? Yeah! Yeah, sorrow, man. Night's coming, but man, the morning is coming. Sunrise comes to the believer. Sunrise comes to the righteous. The darkness doesn't have its way because sunrise is coming. And church, attitude shapes everything. Your attitude shapes everything. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And some of us here, we just choose that sourpuss, dried up, crusty spirit. And no wonder we're walking around like we've been weaned on prunes or something. I don't know. There's something. Merry Christmas. What's so good about it? Happy New Year. Yeah, yeah. Blythe was, I was, Mike Dennis was telling me Blythe looks at Mr. Potter watching this movie, says, Why is Mr. Potter so mean? He's chosen an attitude, that's why. What's your attitude you're going to choose this morning? What perspective will you have this morning? The Bible says, fill your minds with those things that are good and that deserve praise. Things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and honorable. You don't think that would change an attitude? You know it would. Don't focus on the bad, the lies, the impure. No, focus on these things and see if your attitude changes. Because heaven wants us to change our perspective. Heaven wants you to see the biggest picture. Not just the bigger picture, but the biggest one. God wants you to see life like He sees it. And that happens when you trust Him. He gives you something when you do. It's called hope. You've got a card in your bulletin, and it's just an opportunity to, to uh, pray, to make a decision, to write a thought down. hope you'll take advantage of that. We're going to sing a song while you do that. And then after that, we sing that song. We're going to take up those cards along with our regular contribution. I pray that... I don't know what the message you're supposed to get this Christmas. I'm making a sorry attempt to get it across, okay? But I hope I hope that... I hope you capture what heaven wants you to know this morning. That God loves you, He made you for a purpose, and He wants to use you. I hope you'll come back next, next Sunday night. Bring somebody with you. Let's learn why, why it's a wonderful life. It's because it's of, of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning, Lord, and... And Lord, I just, uh, we get together every week. We kind of rally together and you give us some things to think about, some good things, Lord. I pray we won't forget them after the last amen here today, that we'll start thinking 
that will see the biggest picture. Lord, thank you for listening to our prayer. Thank you for hearing us. Father, help us accept your answer. Sometimes it may have to be worse before it gets better. But let us, re- let us remember, Father, that you're, whatever your answers are, they're to our help. Thank you, Father, for, for making it possible for us to face things with you, with our Christian friends, with help, with heaven's help. Father, thank you for, never, for, for the fact that we're never alone. I mean, even when we die, your Bible says angels come and take us home. We don't have to face death by ourselves. Father, how much of our hearts are trusting you this morning? As each of us look inside our heart, and though we could say everybody can improve, Father, the bottom line is, do, we, do you have all our heart? Are you involved in all our ways? Are we submitting to you in all our ways or just most of them? Because we know you want us to trust you. We know that if we would just trust you, it's when, that's when life will come together. If we'll just break ourselves, humble ourselves, and let you lead. Or what attitude do you want us to have? Have some of us grown cynical and negative and just grumpy, Father? And we blame our circumstances. I do. I blame mine. But Father, we know that we, we're not locked in, are we? Are we locked in by circumstances? Do we have to be, Father? I don't see that we have to be. So help us choose a better perspective. Help us see the blessings. Not let the burdens somehow block us from seeing the true blessings that you give us as Christians, as people you've made. Father, I pray that someone here this morning will decide to place their trust in you and open up and have the courage to open up a Bible with someone. That they'll, that they'll look at it seriously. To not be afraid. Let, 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 let the encouragement from the angels, all the angels in the Bible that have said, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, fear not, fear not. Let them calm us down and, and so we can study your word and look at it and just be open with it and benefit from your words. Father, I pray for us, some of us here, that we can pray that we want to live again. And as the snow falls, that we'll see Maybe our circumstances haven't changed, but man, we have a new perspective. And it's a perspective filled with hope. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.